0: Gospel, chapter 1. As we continue our series in the book of Luke, we find ourselves this morning in Luke chapter 1, verses 57 through 80, which can be found on page 1032 in the Pew Bible. Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 57. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from old, that we should be saved for our enemies, from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. The oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people, and the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit. And he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let's pray together this morning. Father, now we pause for these few moments to give attention to your word. We pray that your spirit would accompany the preaching of your word, and that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear. For we ask this now in Jesus' name, amen. Who, what, where, when, and why? This morning, I want us to take the five W's and apply them to our text. The who, of course, is Zachariah the aged priest and godly man, who is not only mute, but we think probably deaf, for nine months since he did not believe the announcement of the angel Gabriel relating to the birth of his son. This Zechariah now finds himself unexpectedly as a new daddy. The what is both the unlikely birth of Zechariah's son but also the circumcision of that son. Elizabeth was well past childbearing years, but lo and behold, a son is born to this elderly and righteous couple. Where is the Judean hill country? It was the backwoods of what was notoriously a backwater nation. The Romans only paid attention to Israel to the extent that the turmoil and political unrest created them problems and headaches. When is not just the birth of the child, but also the eight days after the birth of the child, when he was presented by his parents, both to be named and also to undergo the covenant symbol, namely circumcision. Well, those are all easily answerable enough. It's the fifth W, the why that we want to give our attention to this morning. It's the one that we want to consider as we think together about what Luke is telling us. Now, Dr. Luke, who is a skilled man of letters, will tell us why, but he does so subtly. He does so using a term that's very prominent in the Old Testament. And because it's prominent in the Old Testament, we're prone to miss it. We're prone to gloss over it. We're prone to just sort of move along and not carefully consider the why as it relates to both the birth and the circumcision of John the Baptist. Well, On page five in your bulletin, you'll see an outline for our time together. There you see the big idea. In one sentence, what we hope the sermon is about. Now, I'm going to be honest, the big idea stinks. Some weeks they're great. They read like a Chevy commercial. Other weeks they're atrocious. This is one of those. As recipients of God's blessing, God's people bless God and others. Okay, but we're going to roll with it. So here it is. First, what's in a name? What's in a name? The text records for us two amazing events. Here is a woman, and it's interesting, earlier in Luke's gospel, uh, it's literally translated, an old age had come upon her. She was beset, as it were, with old age. And there are many of us in the room, we talked about this in Sunday school, you know, when you look in your rearview mirror and you yawn and you hurt your neck, you know that's the point in which old age beset you. Old age is coming your way, and that's certainly true not only of Elizabeth, it's true of Zachariah. And yet, the word tells us that this baby has been born. Now, childbirth then and now is both painful and dangerous. But God delivers Elizabeth through in her old age through the occasion of delivering her son into the world. And not only is he born, and born safely, but he's going to be circumcised. His parents are going to present him in order that he could undergo the covenant rites, stating that he is a part of the visible people of God. And in verse 58 of our text for this morning, we get our first glimpse of why. Why? Why is God doing this? Why is God blessing an aged couple with a son? Look at verse 58. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her and they rejoiced with her. It is that term mercy or in the Old Testament, the word Hesed, covenant faithfulness. God is showing his covenant faithfulness to Elizabeth, to Zechariah, but he's also showing his covenant faithfulness to Israel and to all of mankind, as we're going to see. Now, I said in the introduction that we thought that Zechariah was not only mute, but probably also deaf. And we get that because in verse 62, we're told that they have to make signs to him inquiring what he wanted him to be called. So in other words, apparently he couldn't hear the conversation. They had to make signs to him to get him to understand what was going on and just how the the kind of insanity that his wife was proposing that he be called John. And it's interesting because uh, this, this is a very, very significant occasion. This is a who gets to name the baby is a big deal. It's a big deal because names carry particular significance, not just to the extent that it's a family name. Our children are blessed or cursed with family names. Gabrielle has the same middle name as her mom, who has the same middle name as her mom's cousin. Was she named after for somebody too? So we have three folks in our family who have a misspelled middle name. It's Diane, spelled D-I capital A-N-N. It's misspelled. I digress. Nathaniel has family middle names. In fact, we realized he was going to be the only boy, so he got two family middle names. He got both of his grandfather's names, and then they both fussed about it later. But names are significant, Because in the Bible, they have a particular meaning. It isn't just that it's a family name and, oh yeah, we're going to name him after his dad. That's significant. I don't want to diminish that. But in the Bible, names have particular meanings. In case you were wondering, Kyle is a Gaelic name that means handsome. You can't make that up. I mean, I could, but I didn't. Elizabeth is a name that means God is faithful. Zachariah is a name that means God remembers. And John, and catch catch the little subtle play that, that Luke is doing. John is a name that means God is merciful. Do you see that? They're rejoicing because they've heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy. And so what does she name her son? God is merciful. Friends, we've seen that in the first two chapters of Luke, Luke is going to introduce, introduce to us themes that are going to show up again and again in Luke's gospel and in the book of Acts. And what we will see Is God's faithfulness and God's remembering and God's mercy. And all of those things, God's faithfulness, God's remembering, God's mercy, all of those things are going to come together in the life, in the ministry, and in the death and in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. What's in a name? In this instance, we see the faithfulness and the remembering and the mercy of God. Secondly, we need to bless the Lord and know why we are blessing the Lord. It's interesting, isn't it, that in our cultural liturgies that we sort of have in kind of uh, nostalgic Americana, uh, we're often prone to ask God to bless us. Think of the song by Irving Berlin. Think of the song by uh, Lee Greenwood. God bless the USA. God bless America. And one of the differences, I think, between the new covenant people of God and those who would claim to be Christian because they're not really anything else is that the new covenant people of God understand that one of our obligations as God's people is to actually bless him and not merely ask him all the time to be blessing us. It's interesting, isn't it? That when God doesn't do what we think he should after we ask him to bless us, we get a little irate. We get pretty miffed. But Luke takes this idea that it's just a one-way street and he turns it on its head. And he says now, one of the things that's going to be indicative, one of the things that's going to identify this new community of God, this new community of faith, this new covenant people, is going to be that these aren't just folks who are going to ask God to bless them. They are going to bless God. But why? Now, there are simple answers to that question. I mean, if you woke up this morning, you should bless God if you have air to breathe and you can actually breathe it you should bless God I've been uh, I visit every Wednesday afternoon I go see Lee Blumker uh, she's in a memory care unit if you can remember your name you should bless God But the text goes beyond just those kinds of common grace things and gives us particular reasons why we ought to bless the Lord. I want to give you four of them. They're not in your bulletin. You'll need to write them in. The first is in verse 68. We should bless God because we have been redeemed. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. Now, it's interesting. Uh, Zechariah is here using what is called the prophetic past tense. He's acting like it's already been done, but it hasn't. Jesus has not yet been born into the world. He has not yet gone through his passion, his crucifixion, his resurrection, and his ascension into heaven. So this work of redemption is ongoing. But Zechariah, trusting in God's promises, trusting in God's word, is going to speak as though not only is it already done, but it's past tense. He's already done it. He has visited and he has redeemed us. Now, redemption is a financial term. It means to buy something back. Think about an ancient pawn shop you would go and redeem whatever item you had put into hawk. You could get it out, you could buy it back. That term then has a very interesting and colorful history in the Old Testament. It's first used when God speaks of bringing Israel out of bondage in the land of Egypt. He redeemed them. He did so through his might and through his strength. We see it again in the book of Ruth. It isn't just property that needs to be redeemed, as Boaz sits at the city gate with Mister So and So. Ruth herself needs to be redeemed, and so when Boaz gains the land, he not only gains the land, but he gains Ruth. And the great, uh, the wonderful part of that story is. Mr. So-and-so wants the land, he doesn't care about Ruth. Boaz wants Ruth, and the land is just a bonus. It's also then used in the book of Hosea, when God tells Hosea to take for himself an unfaithful wife. And we're told in Hosea chapter 3, there comes a point in time in which uh, the wife has accrued, uh, interestingly enough, she's accrued debt uh, through her unfaithfulness, And she's to be sold at auction to pay off her debt. And God says to Hosea, listen, I want you to go. (laughs) Can you imagine the humiliation of going and being like, hey, uh, this is my wife. She's been unfaithful. She's accrued debt in the midst of that, which I'm not sure exactly how that works, but that's what's going on. And so now I'm willing to come and I'm going to publicly humiliate myself to buy back my wife who was unfaithful to me. That's the picture of redemption that the Bible paints for us. It's a loaded term. So when Zechariah says that God has visited and redeemed his people, he means that God has bought us back. But he also says, and again, here's that word again, that he has shown them Mercy. In verse 72, he says, to show the mercy promised to our fathers. One of the things that's going to mark folks in the new covenant is that they're not going to walk around saying, you know, God, I wish you would give me what I deserve. Because they understand, you no, know, they've, they've been redeemed. And what they need from God is not for God to give them what they deserve. What they need from God is for God to show them mercy. But there's more. We bless the Lord, he says in verse 70 and then again in verse 73, because of things that he foretold through the prophets and the promise that he made to Abraham. In other words, we bless the Lord because he's faithful. We saw it this morning in Sunday school, the the wonderful Advent devotional we're reading by Chris Ash. And he has a whole chapter talking about the fact that oftentimes at Christmas, acts of covenant unfaithfulness are very much in the forefront of our minds. Promises that people made that they have not kept tend to have a a sort of much larger impact and significance for us. And so I love what Ash writes when he says, uh, we need to remember that Christmas rightly understood reminds us that God always keeps his promises. So we thank God for his faithfulness. But then we also, in verse 71 and 74, thank God, we bless God because he has delivered us from our enemies. I love how he puts it we should be saved from our enemies. And then in verse 74, he says that we would be delivered from the hand of our enemies. Now, which enemies did he have in mind? Is he talking here about the Romans? There was a very interesting book written several years ago about the Civil War. It was written by a guy named Mark Knoll, who's a church historian. And Knoll points out, The basic thesis of the book is that uh, the Civil War, among other things, was a great failure of public theology in the United States. And he points to things like both sides held national days of prayer and fasting. Both sides called upon God to help them and give them successive arms as they battled against their evil cousins to the north or two. The South. Who are the enemies? If you grew up when I did in the 70s and 80s, well, the enemies were obvious. It was the Soviets. It's changed now, hasn't it? We're not, I mean, we're still sort of worried about the Russians. They're annoying. But it's kind of radical Islam. That's, That's the enemy, right? Well, again, in, in the, the wonderful Advent devotion we've been reading, Ash reminds us that no, our enemies are threefold the world, the flesh, and the devil. That those are the enemies that God has delivered us from. This is not Zechariah praising God that his Messiah is going to come along and kick out the Romans. Now, Jenny read for us this morning Psalm 110 which is a messianic psalm. And there, indeed, it's promised that the kings of the earth are going to be destroyed, that God's people are going to be set free. But that's not a hope and an expectation for the Messiah's first coming. It's rather a hope and an expectation for the Messiah's second coming. And so, friends, this season, we don't just sit around and and uh, bask in how much God has blessed us. He has. But this is the season in which we pause and we bless the Lord. And we bless him for very particular reasons because we understand that in sending his Messiah, he has redeemed us and he has shown us mercy and he has shown faithfulness to his promises and he has delivered us from our enemies. And there's coming a day in which he will do so even more so. Thirdly, then, we bless others in the Lord's name. We bless others in the Lord's name. Zachariah's song, the Benedictus, taken from uh, the first word in Latin, the blessed be the Lord, is a Benedictus in Latin. Uh, we bless others, then, in the Lord's name. Now, it's interesting, because yet again, this time, in verse 78, particular word is going to show up. You see it? Mercy. So in the three major parts of our text, right? In the, in, in the introduction or the part in which uh, we're told, the kind of narrative, and we're told what's happened, the neighbors and the family understands this is God showing mercy to Elizabeth Zechariah in his prophecies, he's talking about what the Lord has done as he's blessing the Lord, talks about the mercy that God has shown them. And now as he turns his attention and he begins to bless his infant son, he does so in verse 78 and says, listen, your ministry, what you're going to do, what you're going to be about is fueled by and driven by the tender mercy of God. Why is all of this going on? Why is all of this happening? Why is Zachariah singing? Because God is a God who shows mercy. He shows Hesed. He shows his faithfulness to his people. In verse 77, he says, as he's blessing his son, that his task is going to be to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. Now, what's curious about this is when you think about uh, that this is the prophetic word of what John's ministry is going to look like. And then as we read on through the book of Luke, uh, you, you know how John does that? Do you know how John exercises this ministry of making known the, the making the, the knowledge of salvation giving knowledge of salvation to God's people. <laughs> he tells them to repent. This is not, hey, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. This is who warned you, you brood of vipers, to flee from the wrath that is to come. See, John wants them to understand, they need to understand, that knowledge of salvation is not that big a deal if you don't really think you need to be saved. If all you think you need is for God to help you live your best life now, that's not the salvation the Bible is speaking of. But if you understand that you need to be redeemed, that you need God's mercy, and that you need to be delivered from the world, the flesh, and the devil, then repentance becomes a beautiful thing. And how is this going to be received? It's going to be a light amidst death and darkness, verse 79. Again, as we make our way through Luke and Acts, we're going to see that when Jesus and later when his apostles show up and they proclaim this glorious message of God's redemption and His mercy and His deliverance, you would think everybody's going to stop what they're doing and they're going to, they're going to fall down and they're going to give thanks to God, but they don't. They don't fall down and worship they look for a rock and they gather a mob and they seek to persecute those who are bringing the light into the darkness. Why? Because as Jesus tells them, there are going to be those who hate the light and they love the darkness. Friends, when we bless others in the Lord's name, don't be surprised if it's not received well. Don't be surprised if your blessing sounds to them at best awkward, maybe a bit aggressive, or at worst, it's gonna sound not like a blessing, it's gonna sound like words of hatred or curse. Covenant faithfulness. God has shown his covenant faithfulness, his mercy to Elizabeth and Zechariah. Zechariah blesses God for his covenant faithfulness and Zechariah blesses his son because God has shown his covenant faithfulness. In just a moment, we're going to see an actual physical picture of that covenant faithfulness. We're going to taste and see that the Lord is good. We're going to be reminded of the cost of our redemption, that God's body had to be broken and his blood needed to be shed. And the most amazing thing of this is it's not just that we're remembering that God has done these things, but that in the gift of the table, God blesses us Yet again, in giving us a picture of his covenant faithfulness, he is blessing us yet again. Why is God doing this? Why is God sending the forerunner into the world? Why is he sending his Messiah into the world? It's because he is a God who is faithful. He is a God who loves to show mercy and deliverance and redemption. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for these wonderful words of Zechariah that remind us that not only do we receive blessing from you, but Father, you are to be blessed For you have done for us things that we could not even imagine. You have done for us things that were needed, but we didn't necessarily desire them. So Lord, as we come to the table this morning, we bless you. We praise you. We thank you that not only is this a picture of your covenant faithfulness, not only does it remind us of the great price of redemption, But Father, it is in and of itself a blessing that we spiritually are nourished as we partake of the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray these things now in his name. Amen.